Welcome to Cisco Tech Beat, the podcast that explores the people and stories behind what inspires the newest innovation. I'm your host, AB, and speaking of innovation, I have the perfect guest. Cisco's Vice President of the Emerging Technologies and Incubation Group, Vijoy Pandey, who leads his team to drive the next bold bets for Cisco business. Vijoy is an innovator at heart, with an extensive background in tech that spans over two decades and covers everything from strategy to execution leadership. Welcome to the show, Vijoy. I am so glad you're here. It's absolutely wonderful to be here, A.B., and you are dating me by saying two decades. So <laughs> I, I, it's just been a decade or maybe two years, not more than that. Oh, okay. Yes, you know, I should have done some more research. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad we were actually able to set this up. So thank you for, uh, for stopping by. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here. So before we discuss emerging technologies and incubation, or what we here at Cisco call ET and I, I'd love it if we could get a glimpse into what life was like for you before Cisco. So maybe starting with your early days as a child and the different journeys you took over the years that eventually brought you here. Yeah, so that, I mean, it, that might take forever to go through. So what I would uh, <laughs> suggest we do is how do we actually get interested in computing? And I think uh, the first memory I have of having an inkling around yes, computers are awesome, was back in seventh grade when I was laboring through polynomial equations and algebra. And at the same time, computers are very new. This was back in India. Mm -hmm. So computers were just coming into India. And we had a computer course that we all had to take. Right. And somebody mentioned, hey, there's this thing called the Babbage Difference Engine. And it solves all of those polynomial equations for you. And from that point on, I was like, man, this thing is, this thing sounds cool. <laughs> it's supposed to be mechanical in nature. It runs on steam. Wow. And I finally ended up seeing it at the Computer History Museum maybe six, seven years ago. Oh, wow. And this is just fascinating. So I think they've removed it from there. But if it's still there, I would suggest everybody to go out and take a look. It's just fabulous. So that was my first run-in with computers. That's so cool. So a steam-powered computer. That's correct. Wow. I, you know, that's, that's, I've never heard of that, but that sounds... So did they have to, like, shove coal into it to, to make it... So, yeah, the funny thing is, it was too far ahead of its time. <laughs> right. So they tried making it. They pumped in a lot of money. Uh, Lady Byron, Ada Lovelace, she was involved with the project as well, and they couldn't get it going. So they had to shut it down. And they finally built it in 2002, as far as I uh, can recall. So it's taken us a while to get there, but it was supposed to build out tables for navigation and astronomy and things like that. So of course, computers, huge uh, passion for that. Naturally, you end up at a company like Cisco, no surprise there. What, what was that journey like? Like what was the segue into the Cisco environment for you? Yeah, it's, it's been a long journey and I think, uh, Again, software was pretty near and dear to my heart. Again, back in high school, we, a couple of us ended up building this thing called Billy Shears. Billy Shears is a fictitious character. Okay. And it was uh, coined by Paul McCartney as a contest for lookalikes for the Beatles. And this was during the Sgt. Pepper days. Right. And people say that Billy Shears is actually Ringo Starr. Some people say it's just a fictitious character, <laughs> whatever it is. But Billy Shears was our AI 
conversational program. Okay. And we ended up building that back in high school. It was terrible, terrible, terrible. <laughs> it was on a BBC micro with I don't know 100 KB of memory, right. something like that. But that was the entry point into the software journey. And from there I ended up doing computers in college. I ended up here to do my masters and PhD in computer science. I ended up in a bunch of startups. I ended up in Google. That's my previous job. And then I ended up here at Cisco. What drove me to Cisco was I think Cisco is poised to change the world. It's a neutral company. It's a company that people trust. Yep. Uh it's got the weight of a big business behind it. So there's financial trust in the company and it is playing in the right spaces. If you think about what cloud is, it's a distributed system. Right. And what connects a distributed system is the network. So I know it's a very network centric view, but right from that viewpoint and then taking it all the way to applications, if you think about how applications are being developed, they are being developed in highly distributed manner. Right. And what sits between all of those endpoints, it's a network of some sort. And so I think Cisco is an awesome place and it has the opportunity to change the world. That's great. I love that. You know, it's interesting. Anyone I talk to who has been here for a while and who's had a great career to date always says the same thing about the company, which is it's just a, a great place to to cultivate innovation and to to, you know, it's a great company culture to work for. So it's just nice to have that reinforced by yet another uh, Sisconian. So thank you for sharing that perspective. Diving a little deeper into ET&I, Emerging Tech and Incubation, what exactly is that? Could you give us a, a definition of what that is and what's the day in the life of the ET&I team? Sure. And I think, uh, so yeah, ET&I is a mouthful. <laughs> it's Emerging Technologies and Incubation. Even if you shorten it, it's Emerging Tech and Incubation. Still a mouthful. Right. But I think the big keyword in that name is actually incubation. Mm. And so I would say there is innovation happening across Cisco. There's a lot of stuff we're doing in WebEx, in uh, Mass Infra, in Silicon One, in DNAC, like all over the map. Right. So innovation happens in a tech company and it's happening everywhere in Cisco. What ET&I has been chartered to do is to take Cisco into new markets, into new buyers, new personas. And you can think about us as trying to figure out how to enter markets with new businesses and new products and new go-to-market motions that Cisco has not been comfortable with or at least has not had it in the past. And so as an example, one of the problems that we're going after is how do we solve connectivity, security, and observability in the application layer? Right. Not trying to bring that problem down to the network layer, which is what Cisco has typically done in the past, but actually solving it at the application layer. Hmm. Now, Cisco is known for connectivity and security and observability. We are like masters of that uh, problem statement. Right. But we are not known to the developer. We are not known at the application space. We are not known in distributed systems uh, at that application layer. So how do we solve that problem? So building of new tech, building of new products, but also the people who are consuming the stuff, developers, SREs, platform engineers, these guys are like my teenage daughter. I mean, they don't want to talk to anybody. I mean, they're like, I don't want to talk to a sales guy. I don't want to talk to anybody, not even any. Maybe they'll talk to other engineers, right? Of course. But they'll talk to other engineers on Discord or on Slack or, right. or on text or other non-verbal mechanisms, right? <laughs> so you can't sell developers something in a top-down way that typically Cisco has been comfortable with. Mm. So they want to 
maybe use open source or a free version of some software, they want to deploy it, use it. Maybe they love it. And once they love it, they'll buy it. And when they buy it, they'll buy it with their own individual credit cards and they'll tell their friends. And if enough friends buy this within an organization, then the organization comes back and says, man, there are hundreds of you using that stuff. Maybe we need an enterprise license. Maybe let us talk to a salesperson in Cisco to make this happen. Right. So that entire motion has been alien to us. Mm. And so that go-to-market motion was called also the product-led growth is something that we are trying to solve, solve these problems in a technology-centric manner. So that's just one example. But I think that's something that is closer to Cisco's core strengths in terms of connectivity, security, observability. We're going after the edge space as well, because that is something I think it's Cisco's to lose. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we need to get ahead of the game. But then also we are looking out at problem statements three years down the line, five years down the line. Classic example, there's a huge push towards quantum computing. Nobody's looking at quantum networking. So what if we could build a switch, a router? What if the next generation of packet carries quantum information as well as classical information in the same packet? And that is a problem statement that we really want to go after and solve. So Cisco Research is actually looking at this, Ramana and Ali Reza and my team, but we are trying to build software. We are trying to build labs and hardware to go and solve this problem. And this is actually happening as we speak. Quantum computing is currently here. There's business behind it. There are startups behind it. They are actually making money. Companies like Delta Airlines are actually using quantum computers to solve their airline routing problem today. So it's fast approaching reality. Wow. And it sounds like something that's in line with a lot of Cisco's uh, initiatives, that this is really customer-centric too. I mean, really the end goal is to make the customer experience that much more friendly, right? It's it's absolutely right. And so it's, it's not just about tech, and that's why I was underscoring mm-hmm. the incubation bit. We are incubating businesses. So you take the tech, you, you talk to customers, you build a new go-to-market motion, you actually grow adoption, you grow revenue, and then you pass it down as a business to maybe a BU that is aligned with what we're doing, or if it's something new, right. let's figure out what we can do with it. And even when we take a look at problems such as quantum computing, it is with a business in mind. Sure. So that is something that is ingrained within the team, that it has to be a successful business. Absolutely. I imagine that because of the nature of the work you guys are doing in terms of complexity and the technology being developed, it's not easy stuff. And, you know, I've, I've read that you embrace failure. And I agree that in order to have innovations that are really meaningful and in order to grow professionally and beyond, you have to sometimes experience failure to then get some kind of reward. Is there a particular failure that you or your team has had that ended up becoming a success? And how do you keep people motivated when they're working through problems that maybe they're not getting the right solutions you know, in time, or it takes them a long time to get to a solution when they're dealing with challenges. Yeah, that, that's pretty hard. I mean, I think I, would, I, I won't lie. I mean, it's, it's people get very passionate mm-hmm. about their ideas and then they treat them as their babies. They carry them forward. They want that baby to graduate and go to college and do good things in the world, right? <laughs> so they get pretty passionate about stuff. So the way I like to tell people is think about yourselves as not having one kid, but maybe having 10 kids. <laughs> and you start with one kid, that's your firstborn. Maybe you love that firstborn a little bit more. Uh, but then you have 10 kids and 
think about graduating all of them. Some kids will go and do something in music and some kids will grow up and do something in computers. And sure. so think of it in those ways. And so the way we actually try to solve that problem is we celebrate these failures in the same way we would celebrate a success. So every project that we wrap up, we actually celebrate that in an all hands saying, awesome job team. And because of you, the forerunners, the people who are exploring, the missionaries, because of you, we've learned a lot. Right. And so we will not make the same mistakes. We might make different mistakes, but we will not make the same mistakes. So these guys actually end up writing postmortems. They'll actually walk through the postmortem, what's worked, what didn't work. And we take all of that and use it. And the other thing that we do is, if the tech is useful, we use that tech in other ventures. So it's not just cash, it's not just recognition, but it's also we allow these guys to write blogs and advertise what they've done. So there's a lot of recognition, even personally. Sure. So even though something didn't go anywhere, you've written about it, you've talked about it, it's part of your arsenal going forward. So we build up on all of these things that happen. And some of these pivot into larger projects. Some of these we wrap up and put it away. Right. But all of them go into a library that can be used and will be used in the future. It's nice to get uh, recognition from teammates and from those you report to. I, I noticed that at Cisco, and I appreciate this, that is something that is really stressed. You know, we're, we're all a team and you can give individual recognition, but typically that whole all hands, hey, everybody, here's who's involved. Here's what worked. Here's how we can improve things. Not so much here's what you did wrong. It does a lot for someone's confidence. And it makes you feel good to work for a company that supports you, even when you may not be doing your best work. That's right. And I think the way to think about this is, and what I keep telling the team is, think of it as you looked at a problem, you spent some time there. Yes, you're passionate about it, but the world is moving. There are hundreds and thousands of problems, right. which are also very exciting. You could have spent six more months on this, but you can take a look at some of these other problems and spend some time getting to know that problem space. Sure. Think about how exciting that is. So yes, there is always that, yes, we couldn't take it forward, but the world is large. Go ahead and solve other problems. One of the things that's interesting to me about the team in general is that it's made up of a lot of stakeholders. It's a, it's a you know, cross-disciplinary group of people. You've got UX, UI, ML, AI, academia, researchers, a lot of people sort of taking part in these innovative uh, initiatives. What's the biggest challenge in trying to align these different stakeholders? Uh, it's actually not a challenge. I mean, it's it's... It's, it's actually been, again, if the mission statement is pretty clear that we are going after bold bets, we're going after new markets, new businesses for Cisco, people align behind that really, really quickly. Right. So if you think about UX, UI, like you said, I mean, people very quickly align around, let's build a quick prototype. Let's take it to a few customers. Let's get the inputs. And we know that we are in this iterative process where whatever we built up might not resonate. We might need to change it. We might need to do A-B tests. Right. And we might need to define an MVP. And once we define an MVP, we start coding these things. And even that might not go anywhere. So people align behind that and they get pretty nimble. And they align behind this problem statement of we need to change the way Cisco operates in at least these spaces. Because if we don't change, we won't be successful. So I think the alignment is actually not a big problem. It's actually a huge success. The thing that has been a problem is how far out 
in that horizon do you look at? And so we've learned our lessons. I mean, we have had our challenges. We've learned our lessons along the way. So earlier we were like, maybe like an alphabet. Right. And we will look at anything and everything <laughs> from, from Verily to, to Google Maps to, to everything, to a Waymo. Right. And so that's where we started. And very quickly we realized we don't have the budgetary depth of an alphabet. And number one and number two, I think the more important bit, I was kidding earlier, but the more important bit is you can launch hundreds and hundreds of ideas. That's the easy thing to do. Mm. But you need to land a few of these successfully before you can go after a few more. Right. So very quickly, we realized that we actually need to narrow down our focus and figure out how to land some of these things successfully. And landing means getting to X number of users and getting to Y number of buyers and getting to a little bit of a run rate. I wouldn't want to call it business, but a little bit of a run rate uh, business in quotes Uh, because that shows product market fit. That shows that the product is solving right problems and is resonating with buyers and users and customers, right? So that's where we are. So we are focusing down and that's been a little bit of a challenge because we have, like you said, a mix of researchers and engineers and SREs and they have different mental models and they have different time horizons right. on which they work. And so we have a pretty good uh, process where we say we're looking at modern apps and edge as the two problem statements that we need to land. Mm-hmm. And then we have a bucket called trend spotting because we cannot just stop at modern apps and edge. Right. We need to actually look at what's next. And we need to keep doing that. We may not have infinite budget to do that, but in a rotational manner, we need to make sure that those transporting problem statements are being looked at every quarter. So how do you actually do that? So we have this rotation program where engineers and product managers and everybody else comes in, works on a problem, let's say Quantum or Web3, which are a little bit further out, but then there are other people who are permanently there. So researchers, for example, are permanently there. So this mix of a team comes together, works on something. It's like the movie-making industry where you have scriptwriters and directors and actors come together, work on something, they disband, they come back, work on something else. So we have a pretty good model going where we enable current projects to land as well as future thinking around transporting and how to keep that alive. And I suspect that by sort of narrowing your scope to a more streamlined vision, you know, that's going to give you the ability to work on current stuff and still ideate over things that are upcoming rather than having all these, that whole alphabet, and you can't really, you know, get a grip on each letter. Yeah, it's it's a simple getting more wood behind fewer arrows. uh, Exactly. Right. So let's get, let's, let's make these two successful. We will continue to ideate within these two areas. But we also need to look at what's next. And it also gives a little bit of a breathing room and thinking space for the entire team to rotate out, work on something like Web3, sustainability, quantum, and then come back to their day job in in like a month. And you can keep doing that and and keep that transporting bit alive as well. Love it. Makes sense to me. So I'm going to shift gears just for a second because I want to get away from work for a little bit. Right now, we're in a world where we're dealing with a lot of stuff going on globally. We've got, you know, a long-running pandemic. We've got international warfare, not to mention our own personal challenges that we deal with that life throws our way. So how do you step away from all the noise and find your your Zen place? Is it exercise? Is it meditation? What, what's, what's your secret? You will laugh 
<laughs> but it's actually uh, loading the dishwasher. Oh, I love that too, by the way. I'm serious. I love that. <laughs> it's, it's, to me, it's like, it's mechanical, it's rote. Yep. And you can just keep doing it without thinking. <laughs> and it's like, when I'm doing that, I might be maybe loading more than I need or not loading the thing in the right way or whatever. <laughs> Doesn't matter. But loading the dishwasher, unloading a dishwasher, actually unloading is harder because you need to figure out where, where shit goes. But You stack and just, then you're like, okay. Exactly. But, but loading the dishwasher is my moment of zen, my zen place. Oh, man. And it's where I get my most thinking done. The other place I would say is uh, I'm a photographer in my spare time. And so after taking pictures and loading them up on Lightroom or Photoshop and then pixel peeping mm -hmm. and fixing those pixels <laughs> and just going nuts yep. at the pixel layer is, is the other place where I said, I just, you're, you're doing it without a lot of thinking. It takes you away and, and it, it allows you to think. The third bit I would say is walking with my dog, but the guy is just too energetic. <laughs> so sometimes it's, it's an easy walk. Right. And you get to think, and sometimes he's just too distracted, and all you're doing is paying attention to him. Right, so right. That's that's a 50-50. Totally. Yeah, well, you know, he has a mind of his own, so you, you just got to go with whatever personality he gives you that day. That's right. I love the dishwasher thing, too. I, I'm with you. I find that actually pretty relaxing. And even when it bugs me when someone loads plates in a way that, you know, why didn't you just use the back row? Because then it will be easier to get to the, the front stuff. I actually enjoy rearranging those <laughs> that's right that's right. And I, and, and I was like a fanatical tetris player okay uh, in my college days and it, it was one game that I was i was hooked on to right so it's almost like i was playing i'm playing tetris with dishes inside <laughs> the dishwasher so it goes back to the ocd a little bit of the ocd i have as well i hear that i told i'm with you on that so so you've got one supporter at least perfect <laughs> um one other thing, too, I noticed no one listening to this podcast can see us, but I know that there's a guitar behind you. And I bring that up because I am someone who's pretty much passionate about music. I used to be an engineer. That was my career and a producer for a while. And I've heard that you love music. So I'm always interested what other people are listening to. If I were to take over your playlist for a day and listen to your tracks, who are some of the artists I'd be hearing? Yeah, so right now I'm on a JJ Kale okay. uh, loop. <laughs> and so so that's that's my current I would say loop. Right. But then uh I'm I'm a I, I was probably born a few decades or a decade at least later than where I should have been, or a few decades <laughs> later. I'm a fan of the psychedelic sixties. Nice. So from C S and Y to mm -hmm. I mean the entire movement. And I'm at the right place. I like uh, hate in Ashbury is my shrine. Right. Uh, when I visit uh, London, I, I go and visit where Pink Floyd was formed and, and all of that stuff. So Radiohead is my favorite band. So if you think about Desert Island Discs, that's yep. a misnomer in this day and age. Right. But but Radiohead is my favorite band. Uh, anything psychedelic is, is what you would find. Yeah. But then I listen to everything. So I listen to... French electronica. I listen to some rap. I listen to everything under the sun. Oh, that's amazing. You literally sound like me. This is exactly how I explain my listening taste to everybody, too. I, I'm a pretty open-minded listener, so it's nice to nice to share that uh, in common with you. And yeah, Radiohead, 
fantastic band. Actually, you've named a lot of bands that I love because I'm a drummer too. So Pink Floyd, uh, Radiohead, I mean, any of the 60s stuff, I listen to all that stuff too, as well as the new stuff. So I, I hey, I've got a, I've got a, a listening buddy. I'm so, I'm so happy. I just learned about that. <laughs> we should exchange uh, listening lists. Let's do it. Spotify lists. Yeah. Let's, let's do it. I will, I will make sure I put one together that represents me properly, which is pretty much everything it sounds like, and you too. So That's correct. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Vijoy, I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. I just want to thank you for taking the time to virtually visit with me and talk tech, your own personal stories, and really just have a great conversation around what it is you and your team do and giving our listeners some insight into some of the, the latest innovations that we are really spearheading at Cisco. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. And uh, we are in for exciting times at Cisco. So I'm rooting for this. Me too. Thanks again. I appreciate it.